Psalm 19. This is the word of the Lord from Psalm 19 by the choir director, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to their other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word of the Lord for the people of God. morning. My name is Jeff Lynn. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. It's such a pleasure to be able to love this church well in that role. Last week I was talking with an old friend and he asked me if I knew this other person. And as it turned out, I did. And it turned out to be a mutual friend for both of us. So we compared notes to see exactly how it was we knew that person. And that's usually a fun talk to have, isn't it, with someone when you find, oh, we both know this person. But what if he had asked me, hey, do you know Tom Hanks? Well, I could say, well, I know of him, and I I know some things about him, about his professional life, and a little bit about his personal life, but I don't, I don't know him. I've never met him or had a conversation with Tom Hanks. And in our technology-filled world, in our social media, we may have hundreds of contacts on our Facebook page and other ways. And in a way, we know each one of those people. You may even have a favorite server at your Mexican restaurant that you know because of your frequency at that said restaurant and they know you they know your order as you're sitting down because it's what you always order or you may know feel that you know the people you work with people you have hobbies with people you interact with the the truth is we all know hundreds of people in some level of knowing. 
And then there's others that we know very well. We could complete each other's sentences and do. Now, I have a level of knowing some of you here, and you're my refrigerator friend. Some of you know what that means. It means this. I'm at your house and I need something or want something from the refrigerator, I just get it. I don't ask, I don't need to ask. I feel that comfortable in knowing you. And that relationship has been built over time, a lot of communication together. But we're all here together on a Sunday morning in a gathering of Christians to worship God. And this means that in some way, whether you're a believer or not, or just checking out Christianity, the fact that you've made your way to a worship service communicates that you have some level of desire to interact with God, to know God. So how do we know God? We're going to see that he has, in fact, communicated to us about himself. A couple of different ways we're going to talk about today. We can know him and we can be known by him. And we're gonna be challenged by this text that Devin read to respond to that knowing. If you look in your Bibles, uh, Psalm 19, not sure which page it's on in the uh, Pew Bible. 480. 480 is the answer, 480. Look at those. We're going to look at those first few verses uh, to start with. And Kim did such a great job of the songs this week. And I don't know if you know it or not, but all the songs are intentionally picked to go with the sermon every week. So you can always use those to reflect on the sermon. Um, but singing about God, how he's revealed us in creation. So how do we know God? Through God's self-revelation, what he has revealed about himself to us. The passage tells us first that he has revealed himself to us through creation, what he's made. So let's look at the first few verses there. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech, night after night they communicate knowledge. There's no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now the subheading of this psalm tells us that this psalm was written by David and other parts of the Bible tell us that David was a shepherd as a young boy. And I can imagine that he spent many nights outside in the field dark, just the sounds of the sheep settling in for the night, they're rustling around. David, in that quiet, looking up at the stars and just thinking about the expanse of the stars, the moon. The same moon that we look up and see is the moon that David looked up and saw. Now in that darkness, there wasn't any ambient light from cities around or highways. It was just dark. And maybe you've experienced that kind of darkness when you're camping and there's no other lights. Or maybe 
you've gone to one of the dark sky preserves, and there's dozens of these around the world, and these are parks that are specifically noted for nighttime viewing of the heavens. And there's one in uh, Jamestown, Tennessee, in Upper East Tennessee, um, Pickett's Memorial Park, um, not too far from us, but sounds like a fun thing to do, doesn't it? So the stars in those locations just shine brighter, don't they? And then as daylight approaches in the east, you begin to see just a glimmer of light. Eventually the sun pops up on the horizon. And you know, that's the same thing David saw. And when he saw that, the, the stars and, and the sun and, and all of the majesty of heaven, he couldn't help but proclaim, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Notice in the text that he used action words. Declare, proclaim, pour out, communicate. These words describe active communication, something being conveyed. The heavens are communicating something and in this case, it's the majesty of the glory of God that David has written down for us. Now, here in Chattanooga, the Hunter Museum currently has an exhibit called Nature's Studio, Two Centuries of American Landscape Painting by various artists. Now, if you're looking at those paintings and you see the, the painting and the artist's name, you can know some things about an artist by studying their art. You can know what colors they particularly like, whether they like landscapes or portraits or abstract paintings. What are some influences on them? What kind of materials they prefer to work with? Maybe some places they visited, the subjects that fascinate them. Maybe they only paint children or other clues they may place in the picture. So you could study an artist's work and you can know some things about them. But our knowledge of them is pretty limited to what they've communicated to us, right? And in the way that they've chosen to communicate it. In this case, visual art. We can know them generally, but not specifically. In the same way, we can look at the heavens and look at the beauty of nature and all the wonderful things God's created. And we can learn some general things about him. We learn about his genius, his creativity, his exquisite craftsmanship. But we're limited, aren't we? Now think about ancient cultures who had no knowledge of anything except nature. They would see the sun and they would realize, well, if I plant my crops in an area where the sun shines, my crops grow. That sun must have power. I'm going to worship that. So their natural inclination was to worship that. And, and actually in, in Romans in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says that creation itself declares that there is a creator that there is a God. And to deny that is to actually suppress or to push down that knowledge that we all know. 
So two categories of people today that I want to address. Some of you I could describe as avid outdoorsmen. Some of those, you're in here, right? You're tempted to enjoy God's creation, but don't really give him a thought while you're out enjoying it. You feel alive when you're out in nature, but your thoughts don't naturally turn to worshiping God while you're out enjoying nature. So this and other psalms would be a wonderful place to reflect on when you're on that hike, on that boat ride, or maybe just the words, the opening words to How Great Thou Art, save those on your phone that we just sang, that those would be prompts for you to worship God as you're out in nature. And then there's another category. I would consider you avid indoorsmen. You don't get out much. Your worship rarely takes in creation. You don't have the time to walk or to sit still in nature and just be silent. So what might it, it look like in your personal life or your family life to take intentional time to unplug from media, technology, and take intentional steps to experience creation in a way to worship God? What obstacles would you need to overcome? And let me ask you, would it be worth it to do that? Well, let's ask the psalmist to answer that question for us. The heavens declare the glory of God. Let me encourage you to include thanking God for his incredible creation. From a flower, to a hummingbird, to a sunrise, a snowfall, or even a sandy beach. That as you experience those things, that you remember God created this. And he's a majestic and glorious creator. But we can't know everything about God through creation. Like I said, it's general. It's general. He's revealed himself generally through creation. But David turns quickly in this psalm, verses 7 through 11, to God specifically revealing himself to us. Look at verses 7 through 11. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They're more desirable than gold and an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. So remember I was talking about going to see the art at the Hunter Museum and seeing an artist's work that you like and getting some general knowledge about them. But what if you were to now pick up a biography and read about that artist's life? Learn about where they were born, how they grew up, how they came to love art, their personal life, other things. After reading that biography, you could say, I don't know them personally yet, but I know a lot more about them now than just about how they paint because of that biography. 
David here is saying, God, I love your word. So understand that at this time, the only parts of God's word that David had were Genesis through Deuteronomy, possibly Joshua, and possibly Job. That's it. That's all he had. That was God's word to him. Pretty thin, right? So he knew about creation. He knew about the fall and God's promise to Eve to crush the enemy. He knew about God's mercy, his promise to Abraham, and he knew about the law. David keys in here on God's law. And look what he says about God's law. It's summarized in the Ten Commandments. He says it's perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, and reliable. And what does it do? It renews life. It gives wisdom. It gives joy. It enlightens our eyes. It endures forever, and it's righteous. So do you hear those descriptors that he uses for God's word? So where have you been looking for fullness of life? Where have you been searching for wisdom? Do you long for joy? Do you need enlightenment? Do you want something trustworthy and relevant and reliable that you can count on? It doesn't seem to change whatever party's in power or whatever happens to be culturally fashionable or in vogue, then the purest expression of that, what you're looking for is God's expression in his word. Now he's talking about God's law here, his commandments. And for David, these commandments were very strict. And actually they required perfection. The, the whole system of rituals and sacrifices set up for the people that reminded them of God's holiness and their need to be reconciled to him. So David wasn't thinking, however, about the strictness of the law. He was thinking about the grace and the mercy that he was receiving from God. Now think about traffic laws. We don't generally think and celebrate traffic laws, do we? But speeding driving recklessly, running stop signs. Those laws against those things are for our benefit. Many of us are alive today because of those laws. And with your driving, others are alive today because of those laws, right? Those laws are good. They put boundaries up. In the same way, God's laws are good. They protect us. So how do you feel about God's word? So we have much more than what David had. And we actually have everything complete. Everything God wanted us to know about him, how to live for him, how to, how to have salvation. It includes what we know about Jesus, who came to live perfectly, and he obeyed every part of the law as well. So do you treasure God's word? Do you see it as reviving your soul and bringing joy to you? Now here at Sojourn, as you've noticed, we give a very prominent place to the Bible during our gatherings. We quote it often, we sing it, we hear long passages read to us, and we preach sermons based on what it tells us. We start and end our gatherings with it. 
We want to send a message to those who gather with us. This book is important. And it's actually one of our core values. It's the first core value on the wall out there. Truth, the word from God to us. We, de we describe that this way. Truth finds its only source in everything God has said and done in the Bible, most of all in his son Jesus. He came full of grace and truth to make God known to us. Because Jesus alone embodies all that is true about God, we will believe God meant everything he said and does and hasn't changed his mind. We will consume God's word as if our lives depend on it. We will saturate and season all that we do with scripture. We will view ourselves and our world through God's lens instead of viewing God through our lens. We will eagerly search for and follow signs pointing to Jesus in all of scripture and we will celebrate Jesus and his gospel above all else. So God's word, David loves it. He gives us a model of how to love God's word also. So read it, study it, live by it, and be refreshed by God's word. So if you would like to be have more of God revealed to you, through his word, and, and you would like to have that desire, that hunger uh, to love God's word more. So here's, here's some suggestions. First, I would say pray about it. Pray and ask God to give you a desire for his word. A friend of mine who's a pastor in Charleston, South Carolina, was converted to Christianity as a college uh, senior. He uh, was radically converted after a car accident. And he instinctively knew that if he was going to grow as a Christian, he would need to learn to love to read. Now, we've got college students in here who are tired of reading. He was one of those. He was done with books, did not enjoy reading at all. But he said, Jeff, I knew that I wouldn't grow unless I read, specifically reading the Bible. So I prayed and I asked God to give me a desire and a hunger to read and to love his word. And I, then I read God's word. He, uh, this, this man has been a great encouragement to me over the years just by that story. So pray, ask God, give me a hunger for your word. Give me a desire for your word. I would encourage you to own a Bible that you enjoy reading. Uh, if you want some help finding one, there's several folks in this gathering that know about that. Um, you might want to get a different translation than what you've been using. Go back to a translation you've used in the past. There are many faithful translations of Scripture. But have a Bible that you enjoy picking up and you get to a certain age, I'll go ahead and tell you that the print size matters. <laughs> all right? It, it, it does. And when I see you all with your little bitty Bibles and your little bitty print, I just shake my head, right? And we have technology. So there's apps for Bible reading, for Bible listening, um, texting scripture back and forth to each other. There's ways using technology to get immersed Another way is to read in community. 
have a reading partner or folks that you're reading through the Bible with, that you can collaborate with and talk about together with. Let's talk about what we read this week. And then, baby steps. A few years ago, the book Atomic Habits came out. It's a huge success, and it's a, it's a good book. Uh, just helping folks develop good habits and break bad habits. And in it, he talks about setting up steps to help yourself get into habits. For example, if you want to become a, someone who runs, well, first you have to have your shoes ready to put on. That's step one. And you do that habit until you get that down. And then, then you take the next step. What I really like about that book is that it's not so much those steps, but it's the mindset that he talks about. Don't tell yourself, I'm going to run a marathon. Tell yourself, I'm a runner. That's what I do. That's my identity. I'm a runner. And so whether you run a marathon or you run to the stop sign and back, you're a runner at that point. So I would tell you, be a Bible reader. Don't, don't try to say, I'm going to read through the Bible. It's a big book. It takes a long time. Instead say, I'm going to be a Bible reader. And that may mean reading for five minutes. And then you can call yourself a Bible reader. Do it consistently. Pray and ask God to give you a love and an understanding of what you've read. And, do it, and then do it again. And listen to what Brian Cosby wrote. He's a pastor on Signal Mountain at Wayside Presbyterian Church and an author. He said, when you read the Bible, read with the expectation that God is at work. The same Holy Spirit who inspired the scriptures long ago is the same Holy Spirit who illumines and applies the scripture as you read. So read expectantly, asking God to show you wonderful things from his word as you read. So God has revealed himself in creation. He's revealed himself in scripture. How do we respond to that? Let's look and see how David responded to the wonders of God's creation and God's word. Verse 12, who perceives his unintentional sins, cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. David responded with worship and confession. Kind of like our weekly liturgy, if you notice. We confess, we worship, we do those things together. And David probed deep. He even was asking God to reveal to him sins that he didn't realize he was committing. So, just on the side, if, if you've ever been confronted by someone about a behavior or an attitude, have you ever been tempted to say, that's just the way I am? Well, David wanted God to reveal areas in his life sins that he didn't even know he was com committing, those that were not even on his radar. And then he asked God, secondly, to reveal those willful sins, those blatant acts of sin or omission, failing to act, that we know are sinful before we even commit them. So wonder at the beauty of creation, the awesomeness of the universe. And if you've not 
seen it, I would encourage you to look up Louis Giglio's YouTube video, How Great Is Our God. It's a wonderful, it's worshipful, I'll just put it that way. Um, you, yeah, look it up. Louis Giglio, How Great Is Our God. And another response we have to God's creation is to steward it well. Paul Tripp wrote these words. The doctrine of creation doesn't allow us to be passive or uncaring when it comes to the state of the physical world. It doesn't leave room for us to use and consume and then walk away unconcerned. Our creator has commissioned us to care for the physical environment that is our address. He's commanded us to control it, to feel, to work it, and to keep it. Look around, though, and you'll see that we're experiencing the sad results of our failure to do this. So how has environmentalism become the work of those who do not know God or recognize him as the creator of all this is? Why are the people of God not on the forefront of these concerns? There's a Hebrew word in our Bibles that we use sometimes. It's called shalom. And it has to do with the idea that things are in peaceful harmony with each other. When you contemplate the Creator's majesty and the beauty of His creation, you see shalom in action. Shalom goes beyond peace. It represents a comprehensive, universal order. It signifies everything functioning together harmoniously, each element in its rightful place, fulfilling its purpose. It's kind of like a symphony where every instrument is in perfect tune, perfect pitch, playing in perfect harmony and enhancing the collective sound. It's like a healthy human body where all the systems and the organs are working together flawlessly. Shalom embodies perfect health and function. God created a shalomic universe, a testament to his perfection power and wisdom but it's evident without much searching or living long that sin has shattered the shalom that god established in the garden we mourn the brokenness prevalent in the once gorgeous untainted world now there's still remnants of this beauty but this world no longer operates in the way that it was intended by its creator in romans chapter 8 paul describes the groaning of our world under the weight of its brokenness. Even the physical world calls out for redemption. But there's a direct line connecting the shalom of the garden to the agonizing cross outside the city where Jesus was crucified. This line is carefully painted through history by a redeemer who seeks to restore shalom. He will make all things new. Though he accomplishes this by sending his son on our behalf, living a perfectly righteous life we could never achieve, dying to pay for our sins and rising from the dead to rise triumphantly over sin and death. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection secure the return of shalom for us one day. They guarantee a future where we, in a perfect world as perfected creatures, perfected people, will dwell in a perfect relationship with God 
where everything's in its proper place, working in flawless unity. May we live with the hopeful anticipation of that day. So we're back to answering the question I started with. How do we know God? We talked about our knowledge of an artist, looking at the art, looking at a, reading a biography. But now what if you could live with that, with that artist, have meals with that artist, spend time, take walks, have fellowship with that artist? Then over time, you could say, I know them. They know me. And that's the progression to knowing God. The God who speaks in creation and in his word. And we can speak back to him in prayer and in fellowship with him. Let me encourage you to get to know him through creation, through his word, and through his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your amazing work of creation. Even though stained by sin and the fall, we are still amazed at the beauty and the glory in what you have made. Thank you for your word. Help us to love it, to study it, to obey it, mostly to see Jesus in it. May it prompt us to worship you in all your splendor, all your majesty and your holiness. And may we pray with the psalmist, May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you.